Hey, hello, welcome Church Online. We are so glad that you are joining us wherever you're joining us from, whenever it happens to be in history. If you happen to be on here live, we would love for you to join the chat, shout out where you're from. Just know that you are literally watching with people from around the world, but you are a part of our community and we feel that you are just as much a part of us as anybody who is here on campus uh, every single weekend. Speaking of which, we have a great group of people who come join us for our filming. You guys, so great to have you here as well. So we are in week two of, of a series that I'm just so excited about that I think is just so timely. And, and I think that God uh, orchestrated this a long time ago. And, and the series is Thy Kingdom Come. And if you didn't see last week's, every week is going to literally build on itself. And so I want to do just a brief little recap so that in case you missed it or in case you had a busy week like I did and you kind of forgot, because every week it helps to know where we've been to know where we are going. And so the whole premise of this entire series is, is this statement that Jesus made when he's talking to the Roman governor on kind of behalf of his life. And he makes this really crazy statement um, that, that I think really shapes how we're to think about God, his kingdom, and following Jesus. And he says this in John 18. He tells Pilate, the governor's name was Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and what he was saying is, I don't go about things the way the world does. I came to introduce something very, very differently. So we know that God's kingdom is different than this world's kingdom. But then if you connect that to what he said in his first sermon in Matthew chapter 6, when he was teaching us how to pray, we see where he wants that kingdom to be established. And the where is, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, this then is how you ought to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You maybe are familiar with this prayer. And then he says, your kingdom come. There's that word kingdom again. Type in the word kingdom if you're with us on your keyboard. Shout it out, kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And he says two really important words. Say it with me, guys. On earth. So we see that God has a kingdom that's unlike anything this world has ever seen. But the where of the kingdom is here on earth. And so now we have to figure out if the where is here, let's talk about the how. Well, so we have to answer this question, and this is what the premise of this entire series is. Answering this question is, how does the Bible, what is God, the Bible, what does it want us to think about humans exercising power and authority? Because apparently God has a kingdom. He wants it here on earth the same way it is in heaven. So what are we to think about when it comes to power, influence, resources, authority? And last week, we did a deep dive into the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we, we found this in the first two sentences of the entire story. We see this is what God's up to. He takes that power and authority, and he asserts it over the chaotic darkness to create life that will flourish. This is so important, and this is what we want to gather from this, is that God takes that power, goes and finds chaotic darkness and intentionally inserts himself into it and brings order so that life that will flourish. We're gonna say this another way for the next few weeks. We're gonna say, essentially, God brings light and life into darkness and chaos. Well, that in and of itself makes God pretty amazing. That's what he does. He spoke the world into existence. It's what his plan is here on earth. But how is he gonna do it? Now that this earth and this garden and this world is created, what was his plan from the beginning of bringing light and life into darkness and chaos. Well, he made one thing that was just like him, and that's humans, mankind. If you remember, we talked about that last week. And so who does he entrust this to? How is he going to accomplish this? Through us, through humans. His plan all along was to be his, uh, 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 an example of his power and his, and his authority on this earth where we get to see this happen. And so he gives us his power, his authority, and says, go and do likewise. Assert yourself into darkness and chaos. Help life to flourish. And so 
Then we, we looked at the definition of the Greek original definition of the word politics it comes from the word politikos. Again, just a review of last week where we see that what we answered this question, what are the conditions that make life good for a group of people who are committed to living in a close environment together? In other words, how are we to treat each, each other? How are we to treat ourselves? What's going to be this? How's this going to go? And in the beginning, we see that God says, if you trust my definitions of right and wrong and good and evil, this will work for everybody. But if you seize that independence for yourself, which you can because I've given you free will, you then have to define it for yourself. And humans are historically and notoriously terrible at defining right and wrong for ourselves. So we left off with kind of this plot tension, this problem that God's purpose and plan was to rule, uh, was to, I'm sorry, to share his world with all of humanity. So we see that. And then God is going to, uh, his rule and his authority over the creation would actually be mediated through humans, through us. But now we've declared independence from God and we don't want to submit to his rule or his authority. And so we want to become our own rulers. This is what we talked about last week. So then we began defining good and evil for ourselves in a way that gives us advantage over other people. That's important. In God's definition of right and wrong, no one has an advantage. There's, equally, there's equality and there's equity. But when we start defining good and evil, we start giving ourselves advantages over other people. We're going to talk about this. So what does this result in? It results in a corrupt superpower we talked about in Exodus. It results in violence. It results in injustice. It results in death. It results in conflict. And so now the question is quite literally, what in, on the world, what in the world, what on earth is God going to do? And we kind of teased this last week, but we said God's then next step was since we seized autonomy, since we took this on our own, he says, fine, then I'm going to pick a man. His name's going to be Abraham, and I'm going to make one family. And that family's going to become a nation. And my plan is that maybe they can get this right. And if they do, the world will take notice that they live so differently than everybody else that perhaps they will see my kingdom come, and I want to bless the whole world through them. And so I want to start right there because God says he picks Abraham, and I want to show you what it says. Why? What was it, the qualification for, for Abraham? What was it about Abraham, and what was his mission? Because we see these, these two words that we're going to just really jump in on today is this. Is, uh, he says this in Genesis chapter 18, why he's chosen Abraham. It says, for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. So God just wanted to bless everybody through this nation of Abraham, which would become Israel. Watch this verse 19. It says this, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to trust God, to define what's right and wrong and how to treat people and politics and all that. Watch this. By doing righteousness, say righteousness. righteousness, type righteousness if you're there, and justice, say justice, justice, righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So these two words, if you want to do a fun little study, show up so many times throughout the Old Testament and the story. This is the mission of God's people. He says, why do I need a specific people if I am? And they're going to do it different. What are the things that's going to make them stand out? I'm telling you right now, it's these two words. And what I hope to do in this series and today is to get a better understanding of what the Bible meant by these words and reclaim them for the kingdom. Because I think right now, these words have different meanings in our culture with nuanced conversations. But Again, I'm most interested in what the Bible says and what the Bible means. And so we're just, I'm going to teach you some Hebrew words, and you're going to need to know these. You're going to memorize them. We're going to have fun with them. But I want you to remember these. I hope I annoy you so much that you can't get these Hebrew words out of your head. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Uh, and so here's the first one. Let's talk about this word righteousness. This is very fascinating as somebody who is a Bible-believing Jesus follower. 
That word righteousness in Hebrew is literally the word sedek. Say sedek. Sedek. Not bad. And if you typed it, like it's way easier to say than to type because I don't speak Hebrew that well. Uh, but sedek. Or you'll maybe hear the word sedekah. It's, it's another variation of that word. Sedek. And it's literally this. This is what the Bible means by righteousness. Because I think maybe in our Western world, our Western church, we've maybe veered a little bit from its original meaning. It says an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. An ethical standard of right relationships between people treating others as the image of God. Now, I don't know about any of you. I grew up going to church. My dad and uncle were pastors. I heard the word righteousness all the time growing up. Righteousness. God is a righteous God. He's, we need to be righteous. And, and, and that was very true. But often, righteousness had to do with right living or doing right or doing the right things. And I'm not saying it's not that. But when, when God said, when we want to try to reverse the direction that the chaotic world is going, when we want to bring light and life into chaos and darkness, we want to establish righteousness. And it's not an elitism of acting and doing and living better necessarily. If there is any of that, it should all be for this purpose right here, that right relationships between people and treating others as an image of God. In other words, it's literally right relationship with each other. So when the Bible says we're to uphold righteousness, we're to maintain righteousness, we're to pursue righteousness, it's to see that people are treated in the image of God and the image bearing the value, the, 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 um, the value that they have, uh, and, and that's where righteousness comes from. And so we see righteousness. So this idea of righteousness is, I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. We agree to exist together kind of in this space. It's more than just living right and being good. Now, I will tell you that when this is the target, treating each other right by God's standards, living right and being good is a repercussion. It just happens. You will live morally. You will live right because this is the focus. And, and we've made kind of the, the, the peripheral of acting right the focus, but we've missed kind of the why. And the why is that we treat others in the, the image or likeness of God. And so that's what righteousness is. Uh, so that's righteousness. Now, here's what something else is really interesting. If you go through the Bible, anytime you hear about righteousness or read righteousness, it almost always, this shocked me, almost always is right there with justice. In fact, I'm going to run through a bunch of these and show you this, but it's rarely do you ever hear righteousness. It's always a bedfellow with righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice. And I would say, I think in the Western church, we have maybe a little bit misunderstood and overemphasized righteousness, but we almost never hear about justice. And I know some of you might have already maybe turned me off because justice now is such a trigger word, but we're not talking about social justice or political justice. We're talking about biblical justice. So righteousness and justice if righteousness is sedek, say it again, sedek, 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 there it is. So then let's talk about justice. What's the Hebrew word for justice? I love this word because it's fun to say. It's mishpat, mishpat, mishpat. Biblical justice is this word mishpat. These words sedek and mishpat, sedek and mishpat show up all the time throughout the Old Testament. And here's what justice is, biblical justice. Seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. That's what justice is. It's, there is a little bit of a context of ret, uh, retributive uh, justice, meaning if I steal, I have to pay the price or pay it back. But most often this word mishpat shows up in justice. It's actually a restorative justice. It's level the playing field. It's let's find those who are weak, vulnerable. Um, they're outcast, overlooked, whatever the case may be. And how can we restore 
Righteousness, which is right relationship, their image of God. So justice is actually what protects righteousness in God's kingdom. If you're with me, say yeah. So justice is, is literally action that you go into the next one that you take to create righteousness. So righteousness is, is right relationships. Well, what are we going to do when right relationships aren't happening? Well, that's where justice comes in. We have to make sure that we protect the vulnerable and we have to take care of people to the best of our ability and see. And this is what God, this is why God chose Abraham out of everybody. And what's, what's their mission? It wasn't to rule. It wasn't to conquer. It wasn't to be the wealthiest. It wasn't to be the most comfortable. It wasn't to be the most powerful. He said, this is why I'm choosing you. It was right there in Genesis, verse 18 and 19, righteousness and justice. So we see that God loves Sedeq and Mishpat. He loves righteousness and justice. And so the idea we talked last week is God put so much growth potential in this world that it can grow on its own, but we are to take that power and authority and, and exercise what we, the power and authority we have over those raw materials to see life flourish. So God's a commander. He's the king. And then he packed this world just completely full of life. Uh, and, and he put human beings, he stationed us over it so that we could imitate the divine. Here's our, our job is to imitate the divine and unfailing love and do exactly the same thing to each other that God did to us in a way that promotes justice and righteousness. Or Sedek, and say it with me, Mishpat. So I just wanna just cruise through this. I wanna show you how often this shows up throughout the Bible. So uh, a few different scriptures where we see justice and righteousness together. So let's just go through these. Psalm 33, verse five. We see that the Lord loves Sedek and Mishpat, righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Uh, next one, Psalm 50, verse six. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Psalms 103, verse six. The Lord works, what? Sedek and Mishpat, or righteousness and justice, for all of the... Okay, so here's that word. There's the vulnerable, the overlooked, the oppressed that we want to protect, Mishpat and Sedek. He works it out for those he cares. Uh, saw, uh, Jeremiah 9, it says, But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me. This is God speaking, by the way. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. So now they're, we're putting kindness with that. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. If you go fast forward to the story where King Solomon really establishes the throne of David uh, in Israel historically in 1 Kings chapter 10, God says the exact same thing to Solomon. He said to Abraham all those years ago. Same family, by the way, same lineage. He says this in, in 1 Kings chapter 10. He says, praise be to the Lord your God. They're talking to Solomon here. Who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king. Why? To, to, to rule and dominate the world to be the richest. No, to be the most comfortable. No, to rule forever. No, why? Why did he choose Solomon? Why did he choose Abraham? To maintain what? Say it with me. Justice, justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. Righteousness and justice. So you can't go very far without directly the scripture or the story being about how can we promote righteousness and how can we use biblical justice to protect this. So I want to read you a passage out of Psalms 146. I'm going to introduce you to a new word here in just a second. Psalm 146 says this, um, who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. Next verse. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers and he supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts 
the way of the wicked. So now here's a new word, this word wicked. In the biblical sense, again, we're looking at what is the Hebrew language? What was God's original word saying? That word wicked is the word rasha. Say rasha. Rasha. So that word wicked is the word rasha. And it literally just means this, guilty or in the wrong. So here's what God is saying. When we don't treat each other as other image-bearing images of God, when we don't value each other the way God values, when we don't promote kindness and love, we are in the wrong in the way we treat one another. And so God's plan to bring that righteousness back is this sedek. It's when we get it wrong, we would be called wicked. Now, if you called somebody wicked today, like, I'm not wicked, I'm really not that bad of a person. Well, it doesn't mean you're an evil or vile person. It's, it's actually quite literally very similar to sin. It's literally just missing it. Like, we're, we're missing how this is supposed to go, we're, and which makes us guilty. And so when we're guilty of righteousness, what needs to happen? Justice. This is, this, by the way, I just gave you the whole Old Testament. Like, it's all of it. And it's, it's humans' worst attempt at trying to get this right and failing miserably and a loving, patient, forgiving God who's like, okay, I have another plan. So what is biblical justice? How do we achieve it? One of the fundamental, one of the fundamental characteristics that set human beings apart from all the other creation and creatures that God has created is our need for justice. Think about it. Why is it that animals are able to kill their own kind or abandon their young? And it's really no big deal. We just call it kind of natural. But us humans, we're held to a much higher standard. It turns out the Bible has a very interesting take on this, and it's what sets us apart from every other human being. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. 
Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So is it starting to sound familiar? Righteousness and justice is a big deal. And so we have a world right now that's clamoring for what? Social justice, right? Social justice for this and that. Well, the beauty of this, this story, the beauty of this message is that God didn't leave this out. If we would actually commit ourselves to biblical justice, social justice will actually take care of itself. Even in the earliest parts of the Bible, we see humans rejecting God's principles of biblical justice. And instead, they again, I said they define good and evil for themselves, but it's in a way that gives them the advantage over others. The strong take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable to get ahead, both at the individual level and at societal or systemic levels. And then throughout all of this, the, injust the justice that God intended for people to exhibit is nowhere to be found. So the combination of righteousness and justice that God dictates means a selfless way of living of life, which people do everything they can to ensure that others are treated well and injustice is fixed. And so as we wrap this up, there's one last question I think we need to ask. If we're to preserve this, if we're to maintain it, if we're to establish it, if we're the... Sp and by the church, I don't mean the building. I mean us as Christians... Misjust, uh, I'm sorry, righteousness and injustice for whom? Well, we actually have seen that throughout the scriptures. So just to highlight a couple of things, who does God want us to restore, to, to, to bring, and, and who should we be looking at? Well, the Bible is full of that answer as well. But you see in James chapter one, verse 27, it says religion, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In Jeremiah 22, the scripture you just saw in the video, it's, it names specifically that we're supposed to look out for the foreigner or, or the immigrant or somebody who's not from here, somebody's from somewhere else, the fatherless, the or, again, the orphan and the widow. What are we talking about? Orphans, widows, immigrants, the, the poor, the needy, all those things. In fact, in Proverbs 31, it mentions 
The poor, uh, go ahead and go to the next verse, verse nine. Uh, the poor and the needy. So we see throughout the Bible, there's kind of four groups of people that are named throughout the Bible. We see orphans. We see widows. We see foreigners, outsiders. And then we see the poor and the needy. These are the vulnerable. These are the marginalized. These are the left out that God is saying, if only my people who are called by my name and bear my image would protect the righteousness, the treating of one another well, by doing this for one another, regardless of what culture or community or time in history you're in, then again, the world would be blessed through you is the promise of Abraham. And, and when I look at these words, again, these are very specific in the Bible, but really you look at the life of Jesus and you could kind of boil these down to these two words, uh, the marginalized and the vulnerable. And so what do we do with this? Because it's, it's, it's kind of ethereal. It's like, yeah, this is good. We need more organizations and we need more ministries and we need more outreaches. Yes, all that stuff is, but here's my personal takeaway for us. What's one thing you could do in your life, your sphere of influence in this next week or this next season to promote or engage in mishpat, injustice, to go find a vulnerable, find somebody else. And it's any of the holidays, there's gonna be lots of opportunities. What's one way that God is saying, Christians, I'm calling you to participate in justice with me where we can reach down to the, the marginalized and the vulnerable and we can restore to their dignity as image bearers of God. What's really cool is as, as we close, the, the youth group has actually been talking about this as well. They did a four-week series on justice and it's a really hot topic in the youth culture as well. And so they were actually challenged. One of the nights they were to break into groups and they were to come up with not just, yeah, they need to and we should, but what's something you're going to do? And so they were actually encouraged. Our youth groups, our, our kids here in our youth ministry came up with ideas of ways that they could promote justice and, and take care of the vulnerable from like very practical, simple, everyday um, examples. And, and the stuff that our kids came up with, that our teenagers came up with, was so inspiring and just so moving. I wanted to share part of it. You can check this video out and hear just one of the stories of one of the groups of what they're doing to be on the biblical side of justice. My name is Emily. I am a movement student here at Cape Christian. So about a week ago, Pastor Joseph challenged all of the students in their small groups to come up with idea, ideas and ways to impact our community and our schools. Our group came up with the idea to create journals with verses, room to journal, obviously, because it's a journal, and put Bibles, put little knickknacks, and give them to those in our schools that we see hurting, that we see broken, that we see are kind of vulnerable and we wanted to make sure that those people had outreach, those people had those people that care about them. This was based completely because throughout the weeks and throughout the months, and especially with coronavirus, we've seen so many students come back to our schools hurting and broken and just vulnerable. We wanna see those people come to Christ because we know how much enjoyment that is and we know what that's like, so we wanna spread that. So in these care packages, we're gonna have a Bible and a journal with verses labeled throughout the journals, handwritten with other spaces and blank pages for people to get out what they need to for them to truly just journal. Um, and then what else is gonna be in them is little knickknacks from places like Five Below, Dollar Tree, just basic little small items for people. And then we are also putting baked goods into the care packages. We hope with this project that people will see that they, other people in their schools, they see them, they're not invisible, people care about them, and that they can see the kindness of God and the caringness that He shows to each and every single one of us and the grace and mercy that He shows to every single one of us. 
each and every day and really just that they will kind of see that and want to pursue God and want to ask more about Him. With Pastor Joseph's message, it became very apparent to us that we might not be able to change the world and have a worldly impact. However, we can make that impact in individuals' lives throughout our schools, throughout our community. Just because you're one person doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean, oh, this is impossible. I can't get that group together. You can get that group together. It's been seen. It's been done. So I just encourage each and every single person in the church that can and will become that outreach and become that person for everybody. So as we close, what do we do with this? I kind of already said it. What's something you can do here at Cape Christian? We're going to be having Cape Christmas. We're going to have lots of opportunities to shop for families, to adopt uh, kids, to, to, to do a holiday meal. But, but maybe what's somebody in your life? Where's somebody you see at work, somebody that doesn't get invited to the, the business lunch or doesn't get uh, one of the neighbors that doesn't get included? Where's somebody who's maybe their dignity is being overlooked? And would you allow God to interrupt your life this week on behalf of biblical justice so that you can promote Sedek and Mishpat, righteousness and justice. What if we focus as much on right relationship with other people and what our part in that is as much as we are living right, being good and having it right? And lastly, maybe you're watching this or maybe you're here and, and there's so much darkness and chaos in your life that you, you, you need to be on the receiving end of this. I would say this, that, that if you haven't already submitted your life to, to this loving God who wants this for you, that that's the best place to start. Our favorite thing to do here at Cape Christian is introduce people to Jesus. And so... You can click on the banner. If you're watching later, if you will text Cape Yes to 94000, we're going to send you some, some information. We're going to send you some videos to help you on the journey. And we just want to let you know what does it mean to be a Jesus follower and how can you do this so you can experience it. Maybe you just need prayer. We have a, our online prayer team. We have a live prayer team. We'd love to pray for you with whatever you're carrying through this. And so whether you need God's light to come in, you can just humbly submit yourself and reach out to that or say, God, I'm seeing now for two weeks that you've called me to assert my power, authority, influence, resources, whatever you've given me into any darkness or chaos that I see around me. And God, I'm saying, here I am. You can use me. Let me be on the right side of history when it comes to biblical justice and biblical righteousness. Let me pray for us. And then let's go not just hear the word, but let's go be doers. Amen. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this timely word. God, I thank you for, for me, at least, making so clear and actually simple this biblical narrative of all 37 books of the Old Testament really wrapped up into this one concept that, that justice really is the ethic of the, of the Old Testament, of, of the Bible, that ultimately points to Jesus. And so, God, I pray for anybody who's experiencing chaotic darkness in their life, God, that, you, that, that as they open their hearts to you, as they open their lives, that you would come in and you would do what only you could do. You would create life that flourishes. God, for others of us, that we, would, that we would look for ways and we would give you permission to interrupt our plans in our lives so that we can be a part of the justice side where we can look for the, the marginalized, the oppressed, the vulnerable, the left out, and we can restore some dignity and we can remind them of their God-given identity as image bearers by how we treat them in our right relationships. God, forgive us for being self-focused, for, for only um, 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 looking for things for ourselves. We repent as a, as, as a people and we just want to, to do better and get this right. I thank you that you're patient with us, that you're forgiving and that you just want us to be more like you. Make us more like you this week, Jesus. Don't let this just be something we hear that's a nice abstract concept, but let it walk itself out practically in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.